0: Welcome to Life Science Today, your source for stories, insights, and trends across the life science industry. I'm your host, Dr. Noah Goodson. This week, vaccine hesitancy, the most expensive gene therapy in the world, a $178 million Series D, and a $1.3 billion buyout. The views expressed on life science today are those of the host and guests. They do not necessarily reflect the opinions of any organizations with which they are affiliated. Throughout the last years of the pandemic, vaccine hesitancy has often been framed in highly siloed political categories, with very real anti-scientific thinking on one side and robust data on the other. In the West, It continues to impact us all as low influenza vaccine rates and failure to participate in COVID boosters are combining with other forces to create a so-called triple-demic of COVID, the flu, and RSV. In this context, it can be easy to see vaccine hesitancy as monolithic, but it's not. Not only are there massive variations in the influences and thinking across the West, the diversity becomes more complex when you head abroad. A great example of this is the dengue fever vaccine fiasco in the Philippines. Dengue fever, alternatively called by the comforting moniker breakbone fever, is a mosquito-borne tropical illness caused by the dengue virus. It impacts nearly 400 million individuals a year globally. It's also a particularly challenging virus to combat as there are multiple serotypes in the same region, making vaccine creation more complex. In addition, if you're infected with dengue more than once with a different serotype, the body may react with an antibody-dependent enhancement, which can severely increase the symptoms and risk of death. The complexities around this virus and the attempts to create vaccines for it caused a controversy in the Philippines when the Department of Health rolled out Sanofi's vaccine Denvaxia in a massive program dosing nearly 800,000 school-aged children. However, approximately 10% of the children may have never previously been infected with a dengue fever. Because of how the body responds to the vaccine, these children may have now been at increased risk for antibody-dependent enhancements if they were infected with dengue fever. All of this led to lots of outrage across the Philippines, significant finger-pointing, and a long litigious process. Part of the fallout from this is that Dengvaxia is no longer available in the Philippines though it is FDA-approved in the United States for adults who have been previously infected with the virus and live in high-risk regions. All of this history with Sanofi and the Philippines complicates the recent news from Takeda last week that their dengue vaccine has received priority review from the FDA. Despite the priority review, this has not been a rushed process with positive Phase 3 data released back in 2019. Now, it's not clear if they'll earn FDA approval, though the EMA looked on the vaccine positively back in October. It should be noted that this vaccine is nothing like the COVID vaccines in design or function with 84% of hospitalizations prevented across a four and a half year follow-up period and 61% of symptomatic cases in the follow-up after the clinical trial. It was more effective during the preceding study period. So you have a complex virus. Then you end up with complex vaccines that interact with a complex social political environment. And the more you dig into the story, the more you see the complexities of vaccine hesitancy, medical education, and how these can all mix with multinational for-profit companies and political interests. In the case of the Philippines, this is a real example of a questionable rollout of a vaccine program that may have placed some children at risk. Approximately 19 of the 800,000 children who received the vaccine did die of dengue fever, and it's possible the vaccine contributed. As a result of the event and the surrounding frustrations from communities, there's been a major drop in childhood vaccines across the country. This has led to multiple measles outbreaks impacting tens of thousands of children and taking the lives of hundreds. To give you an idea of this impact, the measles vaccination rates were at 89%, close to the 95% required for herd immunity. In 2009. By 2019, the rate was just 66%. The Philippines also sits at number five for the highest mortality rate from COVID 19, with very poor vaccination rates. Takeda will need to decide if they hope to fight this uphill battle in key regions like Indonesia, where it was approved in August, and the Philippines, or if they'll limit their vaccine to places with relatively low needs, like the EU and pending this approval, the US. From the broader context, careful conversations about motivation, profit, efficacy, and risk will be required to maintain societal trust and prevent more unnecessary deaths in the future. Among extensive fanfare and some criticism, Unicure, along with their partner CSL, have announced the FDA approval of the hemophilia B gene therapy, priced at a stunning $3.5 million. Like most gene therapies, the cost of development and delivery of the one-time therapy are high. But like many other therapies, the current market cost of treating the condition also plays into the hefty price tag. The therapy to be sold as Hemgenix resulted in 94% of participants in a clinical trial discontinuing all other treatments. Under the terms of their agreement with CSL, Unicure will receive a $500 million payment based on this FDA approval and is eligible for further milestones of $1.5 billion as well as royalties. For those that can now get this care and find a way to pay for it, there may be a meaningful change in quality of life. But the seemingly endless increase in gene therapy costs leave others asking, how much is too much? Fog Pharma has raised a $178 million Series D to continue to push forward their pipeline targeting undruggable candidates in oncology. The proceeds from the round, which include a range of new investors, will be used to advance their pipeline of alpha helical polypeptide therapeutics. First on their list of targets, set for early first in human trials in 2023, is Fog001, a direct TCF blocking B catenin inhibitor. FOG's basic strategy is to use their unique approach to small precision medicine to achieve new advances across a range of known, but currently undruggable targets. While all early stage, their pipeline is broad and the targets they've selected mean FOG really only needs one successful shot on goal to create a fairly significant splash in the oncology world. But with this funding round, there's likely a lot riding on their first in human studies launching in the middle of next year. Merck, MSD outside the US, has expanded their oncology portfolio with the $1.36 billion acquisition of Imago Biosciences. The full acquisition brings Imago's LSD1 inhibitor, BOMIDIMSTAT, currently in late phase trials for myeloproliferative neoplasms MNPs, into Merck's broad oncology portfolio. The bone marrow related cancers in this category have shown promise across early and late phase studies. This is basically a one-therapy pipeline, but with broad potential. The price tag makes it an expensive one, but a clear indication that Merck remains strongly focused on oncology. Thanks for joining me for Life Science Today, your source for stories, insights, and trends across the life science industry. Learn more on lifesciencetodaypodcast.com. And if you like what you hear, please tell a friend. Once again, I'm Dr. Noah Goodson. I'll see you next week.